All right. Welcome back to another episode of the 50 Fierce and Fit podcast. Today we have Bridget with us and I will let you introduce yourself. So why don't you go ahead? Thank you. Uh, we've had some great conversations so far, so I'm so happy to be here with you. My name is Bridget Truxillo. Uh, I'm an attorney. I have a law, a law firm called the Lady Law Shield, uh, but I'm also a former deputy sheriff where I was in patrol. Um, I did undercover narcotics for most of it. And also I was a, on a SWAT team. I was the only female member they had on the SWAT team. Um, and, and part of my story that, that I share often is the reason why I have my law firm is because I, I left law for law, law enforcement because of being on SWAT team. And, but I'm not, you know, I'm happy about that because now I can help in a very specific way, but yeah, that's me. Very cool. I love that you are able to help women or other, I guess, why don't you speak to that a little bit? What's like your target target demographic and how do you help them out? Um, I would say all law enforcement, um, but certainly I can help all first responders um, because I think it's a culture that if you haven't worked in it, you just don't get it. And, uh, you know, don't, no disrespect to anybody out there who hasn't worked in it, but it's just something unless you've lived it, it's it, it's uh, you know, it's a very unique experience. And so uh, certainly law enforcement, but all first responders, um, if you deal with a job that Put you under extreme amounts of stress, the amounts of thing, you know, the harshness of the things you see every day. Um, and then I do not only, I mean, I, 50% of my clients or maybe, I don't I really know that the split of it right now are men and women. Um, I help with employment related matters. So problems that you're facing at work, harassment, discrimination, retaliation, you've been demoted for some crazy, stupid reason. Uh, but, you know, and I can dig in, we can dig into some examples of that. But Another, I also help with officers who've been placed on a Brady Giglio list. Um, maybe you're familiar with it, but to say it succinctly is that um, if a prosecutor or a district attorney for whatever, some reason thinks that you're a liar, uh, you know, an untruthful cop, um, they're supposed to turn that information over to the defense. Uh, and I agree with the, the, the foundations of that. But unfortunately, too many district attorneys and prosecutors put officers on this list for things that are not untruthful. And sadly, once you get on that list, it's really hard to get off because there's no rules telling them that they, they don't have to notify you that you're on it. They don't have to, you don't, you don't get a, to appeal it. You don't get to fight back. You don't, there's no avenue for you to try and get your name off. Usually you end up losing your job if you get on that list. But I help officers come up with a plan to try and get their name off their list, off that list. So basically what I say is if you're facing a problem at work and you're a law enforcement officer, or you're a first responder, I can probably help you figure out how to, fi- how to fight back or how to try and fix it. Yeah, that's awesome. And I didn't even think about like the whole Brady Giglio thing. Cause that's honestly not something that I've personally run into much. Um, but maybe that's just my lack of experience there. Um, and you're based in the Houston area, correct? I live in Houston. Um, I'm licensed to practice law in four states and I've taken four different state bar exams, which I hope to never, ever, ever, ever do again. Um, Texas, Florida, New York, and Louisiana. Um, but I help officers and, and first responders nationwide because most of what pretty much everything I just described is based upon a federal statute, federal case law. Um, if you're facing harassment, discrimination, retaliation, those, if, if that's happening to you, the, that's a federal civil rights violation. And so I have clients from Washington to Virginia, Minnesota to, I think I have somebody in Arizona. I can't remember. Um, it really kind of all depends on the union framework where in the state in which you live. But even 
if you're in a union, uh, for the most part, your union won't help you on employment related matters with the exception of somewhere like the Northeast where the unions up there are, are much different. Um, but even here in Texas where I am, some of the biggest unions in the state or in Houston specifically, there are some really large unions and, and I think it's great everybody should be in it. If for no other reason, then you should have the legal defense fund available to you if you get into a use of force litigation issue. Um, but those, even one of the biggest unions here in Houston, if they have somebody call them with an employment related matter, they refer that out to me because it's not, they don't get involved in that kind of stuff. Um, so, uh, you know, it's nationwide. Um, and, you know, sadly people call me from across the country, but thankfully I'm able to help people across the country. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. That it's mostly the, a lot of it's a federal thing, so you can help all over. I love yep. that. Yep. So. At what point in your career, because this is interesting to me, when I, small backstory, when I went to college, I originally thought I was going to go through law school. And mm -hmm. I actually got part of the way into the program. And I realized, like, I guess it turned me away because I realized, like, how mundane some court process, like, processes can be. It's, like, repetitive over and over again. So I guess that kind of turned me off from law school. But I never, like, completely took it off the plate and went and got my master's in criminal justice and all of that. So, um my question is, how did you come to getting the law degree or like what did your career look like going through the law enforcement side and then going into law? So I'm going to date myself here because I'm I'm probably a lot older than you. And but when I was in high school, that movie with Tom Cruise, The Firm had, had was a huge hit. So I went into college thinking, Oh, I'll just go be a tax attorney. That looks cool because surely they all just run off to the Caymans and and fight tax crime in the Caymans, which, you know, no, that's not how it happens. And then somehow in the beginning of college, I went to the University of Florida. I'm from Louisiana, mostly originally, I'm kind of from the South in general. Um, but high school in Louisiana, I went to University of Florida for college. When I got there, I realized, well, tax sounds really boring. And didn't, I had no idea what I wanted to do really, but also knew I just never really envisioned myself being like an office person. Um, I just kind of knew it would be something active, maybe outside, still had no idea. Ended up going into engineering, also had no idea what that meant. Um, but I chose agricultural and biological engineering thinking, okay, well, that's still outside. And I hated it. Um, in my fourth year of college, I withdrew from school my dad didn't talk to me for a year about, um, but my dad and I are very close. So we, we, we got past it, but um, worked two jobs, went to New Zealand for about a month by myself. Hence when my dad didn't talk to me for a month, I mean a year. Cause back then also dating myself, there were no cell phones to check in anytime you wanted to. I had to call home collect. And I'm sure most people don't even know what that means. Um, but that's what I did. And uh, came back and got the stupid degree in another twist in environmental horticulture because they accepted all of my maths and sciences from engineering and I just wanted to get out and I thought okay it's still plants it's outside it'll be fine but then I came you know graduating I'm like well I don't want to grow plants for the rest of my life so decided that I wanted to do something that had to do with again fitness being active and I just decided, you know, stumbled upon like law enforcement, but I, I was more on eyeing like federal law enforcement in order to get there. I joined local law enforcement and which is also crazy. Nobody in my family's ever been in law enforcement before in any way. Um, so they certainly all thought I was nuts. Um, 
that's been a common pattern in, in my decades of life. Um, and I don't care. So, uh, you know, wanted a job that required me to be fit because at the time I still was active and, and exercised and just didn't know in my early 20s if I, you know, is that something I would be able to maintain on my own or should I have something to help motivate me as I get older? You know, now I'm 48 and I can say, like, I can do this on my own. I don't need it to be my job because also I became a cop and realized you don't have to be fit to be a cop, sadly. And also, once I got into law enforcement, it's also why I started went in my narcotics route because I thought that that would look good on my resume if I wanted to do FBI, DEA, something like that. And then SWAT team is like, of course, you have to be fit to be on SWAT team. But then the law school thing still was never really on my mind, even though I went into college thinking, oh, I'll be a tax attorney. But then when it all came crumbling, when I crumbling down, meaning I thought I was going to be in law enforcement for the rest of my professional life and then deciding you know, to leave, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done. Uh, had no idea what I wanted to do. And then ultimately just landed on, well, I'll go to law school because I don't know what else to do. I don't really know what kind of lawyer I want to be. And, but, you know, it can't be a bad thing to have a law degree. And so, yeah, at 30 years old, I started law school. Um, and, and I'm also, I'm a firm believer and always have been, like, it's never too late. It's never too late to, to start, recreate, start over, whatever, um, you know, I'm willing to work hard to obviously I continually keep doing it to myself. I could be working a cush job in a law firm, making a decent salary, you know, a great salary and not having to work, worry about running a business, but nope, not the route that I choose for myself. Um, and I love the route that I've chosen, but so getting to, to law school, was certainly not necessarily an intentional choice. And I'm so grateful I don't say grateful for myself, I guess I should could say, but um, I don't regret any of the hard parts that's let, that have led me here because I truly believe I'm doing what I'm supposed to do now in the way that I do it as a lawyer, because I can help in a way that I know it's needed because I needed it so badly when I was in law enforcement and it, the help that I'm providing, I could, I couldn't find that when I was in law enforcement and I created my law firm specifically to help the person that I was back then. And the, I was talking with a client yesterday and my clients are, you know, they're always going through men and women. They talk to me, they're, they're, they're upset, they're emotional, they're crying. They, you know, across the board, I don't care if you're a man or a woman, if you're facing something at work and you feel like they've just destroyed your career or that you, you're so underappreciated and they just have pulled the rug out from underneath you. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy the other day is a 30 plus year firefighter and he was kind of ready to move on. But the way that they're forcing him out, like he was bringing tears to his eyes because it's just so it's so disappointing and hurtful and it causes depression and it, all the things. So anyway, it's a very long way of saying I left law enforcement to go into law school. And thankfully, I'm now able to help in a way that I know people need it. And so that's how I became a lawyer. Yeah, that's awesome. So how long was your law enforcement career? Uh, it's about four and a half years. Um, police Academy, of course, and then went right into the sheriff's office about a year in patrol and then switched into undercover narcotics and did that for pretty much the remainder. I think I got in the narcotics unit around like in November. And then I think they put me on SWAT um, around January, that following January. And they both overlapped the whole time because my agency wasn't big enough to have a full-time team. We were, we're what you call a, they're called a call-out team. Um, 
but I loved it. And we trained all the time. I freaking loved it. Trained all the time. And we, we even trained for, uh, we've competed in a SWAT competition in Florida. It's called SWAT Roundup International. And I was like, that was like my heyday. I got to train all the time. You know, I was, either I was training or we were shooting or we were obstacle course training. I mean, it was just like this, the, the closest I could ever get to being like a professional athlete. Um, although a cheap one, cause I was getting paid very little at the sheriff's office. Um, but it was awesome. Um, you know, but then it came crumbling down. Yeah. That makes me think of the tactical games. You ever listen to doing the tactical games? In you my younger been? years, um, <laughs> before I had three kids to raise. Yes. I certainly thought about all the things being on survivor, like should have been on survivor back when I was on SWAT and I didn't have kids and I wasn't married and had all the time in the world, but you know, alas, I love, I love my life. <laughs> I don't have yeah. time for that. Yeah. I love that. So, okay. So that's cool. That's interesting that you say, you said it was four and a half years. Mm-hmm. I made it through, I guess, five or six years in law enforcement together, but the agency mm-hmm. I had issues with was three and a half years. So it's like mm-hmm. right at the, about that same timeline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so talk through, I guess, a little bit. I mean, you can go into as much detail as you want or as, as little about kind of what are the, the main things that you experienced that somewhat pushed you out of law enforcement or made you decide like I'm done with this, like it's time to go. Uh, I would say it's two main factors. One is the job is the, I mean, the job is the job. It, and if you, I've heard somebody, one time I was listening to a podcast, there's a couple girls talking and, you know, as a female, I thought, Oh, this is like a podcast of women in law enforcement doing this for women. And I was listening to it. And I think one of them was in law. I can't remember. But I remember one of them saying, you know, is the job hard or how, you know, is it getting, you know, is it getting to you? And the girl said, well, I don't really think it's hard at all. And immediately I thought, well, how long have you been in this job? And then she said, well, I've been in it about a year. And I was like, okay, because you stay in this job and the job long enough, it's going to get to you somehow mentally. And I started to have a problem with balancing needing to expect everyone would might might want to kill me at any instant, you know, like you never know you a traffic stop or a domestic violence or, you know, any encounter and you have to be prepared. You don't know these people. You don't know if they, you know, you just have no idea. You, have to, you know, that hypervigilant state of just always having to be prepared to pr- keep yourself alive and, and protect others around you. And what I felt at the time was you just have to kind of assume the worst in everyone so that you could go home at night and, and keep your community safe. Um, I don't like living that way. I didn't, I didn't know how to balance wanting to have positivity, not being completely cynical and yet also still knowing I needed to be able to, you know, you, you have to keep yourself safe. You have to follow the rules. You can't assume somebody's telling you, you can you know, they're not always telling you the truth. Um, you know, somebody snuck in some drugs inside her body cavity into the jail one time and then they wanted to, and supposedly I was in trouble for that, for not checking her body cavity. And I was like, look, there's only so many ways I'm going to check a chick out before she gets to the jail. And sorry, but that's what they do in the jail. It's not what I do. I mean, so anyway, that's just, that's a, kind of a weird example, but it's just one of them. I was like, wait a second, I'm not getting in trouble for not searching in her hoo-ha. That's not my job. I patted her down. I took the the knives out of her bra. I mean, come on. So, um, and I remember specifically telling my captain towards the end, I said, not only am I dealing with, and I'll get to the second part, the problems I'm having at work. But I'd said to that, I don't know how you balance this. And, and, and I want to, and, and this is 20 something years ago. And I think 
sometimes we offer too much lip service to wellness now, but at least there is lip service to it. At least people are talking about it and people are like that it's proactive, active, daily, regular activities that are required to counteract that hyperactive, that hypervigilant state and that, that, you know, needing to assume everyone and wanting to kill you all the time. Um, the second part is that I certainly faced harassment, discrimination in my job in narcotics and SWAT team. And what I mean by that is, were they telling me blatantly, you suck because you're a female? And, you know, and this is what I try and educate people on all the time. It doesn't have to be blatant, explicit, we hate you because you're a girl. It's not that. It's that you look around, and you think, well, why am I the only one that's in trouble all the time? Why am I the one like, sure, I make mistakes. And it took, you know, I'm sure there's so many people out here that out there listening that can, that that have experienced this is, yes, I've made a mistake. I'll do better. Yes, I made a mistake. I'll do better. Yes, I made a mistake. I'll do better. Then finally you're like, well, hold on a second. Like, Those guys are making mistakes. And, and not that I'm picking on guys, just for my scenario, it was, it was specifically like, well, he's making a mistake and he's not getting 500 mountain climbers. He's making a mistake and he's not getting a letter in his file. He's making a mistake and he's not getting an extra 30 days of probation. Like, I started like, well, what the heck? And then it gets, you know, it just literally got to the point where I was like, I literally would say, if you could just leave me alone for a day, just leave me alone for a day and let me do my job without getting on me about something. And, and you know, put, throwing all these things together, I just realized that, you know, towards the end, I'm like, nothing I do is going to matter. Nothing I do is going to be able to, I'm never going to be able to prove to them that I'm a good SWAT operator, that I'm a good narcotics investigator, that, it, that my gender doesn't matter. And, it, and, and that I can actually bring something to the table that you don't have, not because there's something wrong with you, just, you know, apples and oranges, Mars, Venus. And so I, and I'm just not the type of person that's going to be like, come in and clock out, you know, chuck clock in and clock out and go home. I, I'm just a proactive go-getter, want to make a difference person. And, and so ultimately I was like, you know what, screw you. I don't have to do this for the rest of my life. And I could see that even if I went federal, it was going to be the same things. Um, and, and no offense to anybody that would be in federal law enforcement that's listening out there. I just figured it was going to be like maybe slightly bigger egos, you know, but fighting the same battles. And so I was like, eh, I'll just go do something else. And that was not an easy decision. Um, I was crushed. Um, really crushed. It took me years to get over it. I was really bitter about it. The biggest regret that I have in any of it is that even when I was given an explicit opportunity from my captain who was on my side, he can kind of could see what was happening, mostly because he was seeing all the letters of reprimand coming across his desk for me. And he would say, he called me and he's like, there is, is there anything you want me to tell you want to tell me that you want to talk about? And I said, nope, because I just wanted to be remembered as somebody who did my job and, and not somebody that complained. And in hindsight, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you do. They may or may not change their opinion of you, but you, what I told people all the time, I tell my clients is you have to do what's right by you and you have to make somebody, you have to tell them what's happening. My captain was not going to take action on my behalf if I was not complaining about it. And I could have said, yes, captain, here's all the ways that I'm being singled out, that other people around me are not being treated in the sea. I'm, I'm getting disparate treatment. And that's what I talk to people about all the time. If you're being treated differently than someone, you know, is it because you're female, you're black, you're gay, you're Jewish, you're, I mean, there's, 
you're you're injured, you're young. I mean, I actually have a client who I believe she's she was fired partly for um, age discrimination, but by because she was too young by a female. So a female discriminating against a female, which really makes me mad. And but it's not. I mean, so there's lots of different ways it can happen, but ultimately it was that. Again, I, I'm a firm believer that you know it's never too late. You know, life's too short to put up with things that are unjust. Like, do something about it. And for me, that meant leaving and doing something else. But I think for a lot of people out there, it doesn't mean you have to leave. But figure out what your options are and and do something about it. And 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 I know there's a lot of me too. I felt cynical about it at the time. People think, well, it won't make a difference. Like, what will you know? What's the point? I'll complain, and then they won't care. Maybe, but how do you know that if you don't report them? And I've had lots of conversation with chiefs since I started my business and I go out and talk to different podcasts and, and different podcasts. And some of those podcasts are former chiefs and they all say, you know, it breaks my heart to hear that because when you have somebody that's dedicated to the job and is good for the job and, and to know that they never reported it, you know, they say like, I never even, you know, you never even could have given me the chance to fix it. And that's, that's my biggest regret out of all of it is not, reporting it because would it have fixed things? I don't know. Would it have made things more difficult for me? Probably. But could it have made things better? Maybe. And then sadly, the thing that I kick myself in the butt about the most is they think everything they did was okay so that any female that came behind me, they could just keep doing that. Because nobody ever said, no, 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 no. You're not doing this right. Let me just give you some tips. Let me, let me redirect you a little bit. So it was, like I said, I mean, it was really hard. Um, the other reason I think my biggest mistake in not reporting it is that it meant that I held on to that for 13 years longer than I should have. Um, and it didn't take me, it took me 13 years for me to even realize that I was holding on to it, holding on to it in a way that I needed to let go of. Um, so there's so many reasons that my advice to anybody out there is if you're experiencing this, do something about it. And not just because it's wrong and, and it should be fixed, but, but for your mental health, I consider what I do to be a mental health tool in the same way that I think what you do for people from a physical perspective is a mental health tool, because obviously being physically fit helps your body and mind function at peak level. But also if you're dealing with a legal problem, all my clients, it is an all consuming problem. It's all you think about. It's all you talk about. It's what you dream about. And it affects your, your husband or wife it affects your kids. Like everybody around you knows it and that's not healthy. And it's, you know, my clients are depressed and I mean, some of them are feel like they're, they're almost bipolar and, you know, they're crying regularly and there's nothing wrong with crying, but don't live with it. Do something about it. And like my clients, I just regularly, one of them called me down, oh, I'm sorry. I have to call you and ask you this. Like, would you stop it? I'm your lawyer. And that's what I'm here for. Mostly because 80% of the time I'm telling you, no, you're not crazy. No, you didn't make this up. No, there's nothing wrong with you. So I'm here to tell everybody that there's nothing wrong with you. You're doing the right things. Nobody's perfect. Nobody around you is perfect. So do something about it. Yeah, there's there's so many points in there that, that resonate with me and my experience. Mm -hmm. And I, I can like feel it in my chest already because it's like the triggers are coming back. Right? Yes, um, me too. Gosh. Um, so... What would you, so in relating this to me, I think like when I came on the department, it was very much, and this was with everybody, it was like the mentality of 
don't speak unless spoken to mm-hmm. bullshit. If I'm being honest, as you come in mm-hmm. as a rookie, because my mentality was, I feel like I have something to give here. Like I know my value. I feel like I can contribute, but you're telling me to sit down and shut the fuck up. Like in, mm-hmm. in that like first thing to me was like, we're button heads already because like, mm-hmm. I want to be a value to you. And you're basically telling me I'm worthless. So yeah. this is like disconnect one of like, why am I here? Um, and then you, I, you get out of field training, you get onto the street. And then it's, I, it was a similar thing to me of me feeling like I was always under a microscope that I could never do anything right. Mm-hmm. And I had come into that position with um, several years of experience before I even got there. So I was like, I know how to be a cop. Like, where's the disconnect here? Like you guys are telling mm-hmm. me, well, why did she do that? Or she should have done this or, or whatever. It's just like the chitter chatter that everybody's mm-hmm. criticizing. And it's to the point of questioning myself of like, did I actually know what I was doing? Like it started getting, yeah. it gets in your head. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, like, I think part of it too, I mean, you come in as a female officer or maybe it's just as a rookie, it could probably do guys too. Um, if you're in somewhere that's like, don't speak unless spoken to, or like basically it's learned that you don't have a voice until you've got about five years on the department type of thing. What What's your advice to those people that are somewhat silenced that are like afraid to speak up because it's like the department culture of like, don't, that was the thing is like, they told us like, don't ruffle feathers, don't put a target on your back. So it was like towing the line of like, when do I stand up for myself? How is the right way to go about standing up for myself so that I don't put a target on my back? And just, I guess, what would be your piece of advice for that type of thing? Well, I would definitely say there's no easy way to do it. But what I also say all the time is you can handle this. You chose a job that's not easy. There's nothing about being in law enforcement that is easy. and so you are strong enough for this. You are brave enough for this. And like in my situation, when I finally had kind of got fed up and, you know, like I said, I was like you just constantly, everything I did was under the microscope. I was always under a spotlight. Nobody else was. And finally uh, something happened. One of my, like my Sergeant on narcotics unit, who was also one of the team captains on SWAT, we'd done some SWAT training and I saw that he made a mistake where if I had done that same thing, it would have just been, I mean, screaming from the rafters. And so I literally, it's when I just like, this is it. And so I went to our SWAT commander, didn't say who it was, tried to give as little specifics as possible just to say, look, if I would have done this, like I'm not, I literally said, I'm not asking for better treatment. I'm just asking for equal treatment. So I kind of sort of gave the example without, because I wasn't trying to rat on anybody. And his response to me was, don't make a problem for yourself where there's not one. And I was like, well, but I'm kind of telling you that there already is one. And I'm just asking if we could make it not be one. And he repeated it like three times. Don't make a problem for yourself where there's not one. So it's very similar where they say, you know, don't don't ruffle feathers. Don't put a target on your back. Okay, but I already have a target on my back. And so the proper way to do that is, is, Okay, again, this is not going to be easy. And if you need help assessing this, call, I offer free 15-minute calls. Even if I don't become your attorney, I'll give you a free 15-minute cheering session um, to say, you must do this, and it's not going to be easy, but do it. Because then if you do it, so you, you know, look at your policies and see what does it say about reporting unfair treatment, whether it's harassment, discriminatory, retaliation, hostile work environment. And you can look up the definition of hostile work environment. 
um, that one is more of sort of an ongoing thing. It's not like, oh, this incident happened on this day and this, I'm so offended. I mean, I have client, a client whose chief asked her more than once if she was still intimate with her husband. And that's obviously a very explicit, specific example that we can point to. But you know, my example or your example is probably also does include, and for a lot of people, is the hostile work environment, just a very consistent, ongoing level of treatment that ends up forcing you out. Even if you leave, it's really whether they'll ever, nobody will ever testify to say, oh, yeah, we were doing this to try and make her quit. But really, it's for whatever reason, they don't want you there. You're being treated differently than somebody else. So it's disparate treatment and ultimately pushing you to the point of, well, I quit. And if you try and if you follow completely that later, they'll say, well, she quit. And you're like, actually, it's called a de facto termination because you push her to the point of that. The, it was just, she couldn't bear it anymore. Um, so it is find out how you're supposed to report this. If it's your direct supervisor, most you're allowed to jump the chain. Um, they can't ever come back to you and say, well, you're supposed to report it to your supervisor first. Okay, but my supervisor is the problem. No, you can jump the chain. Find out if there's a formal reporting procedure. Um, almost all generic, scrappy hand manuals have something in there about a formal reporting procedure, even though they don't really have a form. And what that means is put it in writing, email it, go to the HR department. And you're because you're allowed to do that you're allowed to jump the chain of command and go straight to your HR department. If it's harassment, look at your manual. It's going to say that if it doesn't call me because then we have a bigger problem with your department. Um, Take that first step to put them on notice. Just because you notify the HR department does not in some, in a lot of cases that I've, I've heard of is that the HR department doesn't even notify anybody. It's outrageous. They should, because that puts them, it, it triggers it's supposed to trigger automatic action on their part. A lot of times it doesn't. So my advice is first, make sure you're keeping a detailed timeline of events, dates, times, people. I always ask this first step I get from any client is I need a timeline of events in your own words with date, times, and people of what happened. Were you demoted and transferred to the night shift was there someone else that they could have put in your place? Who was that? Who's the name? Like normally the more, you know, the less senior people get tra- like, like one of my clients, they transferred her to the night shift saying that they needed, the, they needed people, but she had a more senior status and a special position on the day shift. They could have transferred somebody with less experience that didn't have the senior title that didn't have the, the spe- also the, the extra duty. She was like also a mental health officer which is what our communities want now. Our community, our communities want mental health officers. They transferred her night. She couldn't be mental health officer anymore. There was, and she, they removed her senior officer title because she couldn't be there on night shift when there was, you know, so I need the specifics like, well, who, you know, I need the names of the people who they could have transferred. So that's the thing is, well, they did this, but they didn't do it to him. They did this to me, but they didn't do it to him. Make that list. And, but, but also it just starts with, putting it in writing and sending it to HR saying, I need to make you aware this is what's happening. Also, if it's to that point, of course, I think you should consult someone like me because there are specific words and phrases you need to use that trigger federal protections that once you give that your department, whether they take action or not, they're supposed to. And that's really important later if you're going to try and, you know, if they retaliate against you, if they, for whatever reason, end up firing you anyway. I mean, that's one of my clients. She called me 
they were investigating her for internal affairs for something com- for complete crap. They fired her a week later. So, I mean, I didn't even have, we didn't even have time to, to start complaining before they fired her, but she had already put, you know, so we were like very quickly, I was like, you need to tell your sergeant this right away. And so she got that on the record of putting them on notice that she was being treated this way because she was female. And that's really important in the process. So my advice is make sure you have a timeline and put it in writing and put somebody on notice. That's very important. Because sometimes I'll even ask you, what do you want to do about it? And you could say, I don't know yet. Um, You could even blatantly say, I don't know yet. It scares me to even report this, but I wanted I need somebody to know. And you can even put that in your statement. That's important because it's always true. It's always true that you're afraid to report it. Put it in your statement. Put it in, put it in the email you're sending to HR. I'm afraid to report this to you because I'm afraid of retaliation, but I needed to know this is what's happening. Yeah, I like that. And I think that was something that was told to me that I, I wish I would have done that I hadn't done. And I, one of which I got so angry with somebody that I deleted the text message thread and I wish I never had. Yeah. Oh, don't delete. Oh, thank you for saying that. Don't delete any text message. If anything, take a screenshot of it, save it in your files, but delete the text if you want, but save a a screenshot of it somewhere. I get it. You get people, you're so mad. You're like, screw you. I'm blocking you from my phone. I'm deleting you from my life forever. But in those situations, I always ask for client. I want text messages, voicemails, letters, emails, you know, a copy of your employee policy. What do they say you're supposed to do about this? The other thing I want people to know is, it doesn't matter. This happens all the time. Well, we looked into it and then the guy said, that's not what he meant to do. HR will say, well, we asked the, the offender about it and he said, that's not what he meant. So there's no violation. We're closing this. Their intention is not the standard. If you read your employee policy manual, it more than likely says something along the lines of it's the perception of the receiver. Perception. That's it. So the chief who asked my client about whether or not she was intimate with her husband, he perceived that as being awful in so many ways. He said, well, you know, that's not what I meant by that. But you know what? That doesn't matter. You're an idiot. And he recorded it. Thank you so much for recording the conversation. <laughs> so we have it. It's recorded. Um, it, that's where I tell people to, you start to second yourself all the time. I know it. I did it too. You did it too. Oh my gosh, is it me? Maybe I'm so stupid. Maybe I'm not good enough for this job. They're right. I suck. I should quit. I'm a bad cop. I'm a bad firefighter. I'm a, oh my gosh, I'm going to get people killed. No. If you are to that point, you should call me because you've already been putting up for this with, with this for way too long. And we need to start looking at what you can do. And, and honestly, some of this is life's never too short. There's not a single agency in this country that's fully staffed. Look at lateraling out. That is another thing I tell people all the time. I've talked about it with uh, so many other people, but you're not stuck where you are. Like, and for my situation, did I want to leave SWAT team? No, that was one of the coolest, most proudest things I've ever done. And if I had gone to another department, I don't know if I could have gotten on SWAT team. That was literally right place, right time timing for me. Two people left. I tried out. I made it. They wouldn't, I don't know when the next position would have gotten open, or maybe the next department just never lets somebody on if they don't have five, eight, 10 years of experience. I had one year of experience when they put me on SWAT team. I'm not necessarily saying that's a good idea either, but I did it. You could not have told me any different when I was 25 years old. I don't know how old I was, 25, 
let's just say 25 sounds good, 25, 26. And yeah, maybe I would have had to lie her out, maybe, but I could have gotten there again. I mean, life is, I say life is too short to put up with it, but at the same time, it can happen again. Like the, the crap only lasts for so long and you come out of it, you know, you'll come out of it on the other side. So that's a lot. I know I just said a lot and I always go on. It's just, I get, you know, obviously this is really important to me. I'm so passionate about it because I, I lived it. I know it. I know how awful it is. And they, you, you do have options. It's just sometimes you need an outside perspective, like working with somebody like you or working with somebody, with somebody like me to say, no, you, this is not right. Here's why. And here's what we're going to do about it. Yeah. I, I love that. I mean, it's a double-edged sword, but Mm-hmm. It's cool that you recognize it was was one of the hardest decisions you felt like you ever had to make because I feel the same way about mine. Like it was, I was terrified to leave, but at the same time, mm-hmm. it's like, how much do I let this degrade like my mental and physical health? Because I see myself mm-hmm. down in the rabbit hole and it's, I don't mm-hmm. see it getting any better um, because I literally, I remember one night, like I woke up and just started bawling and like my now husband just like sat there and like hugged me because he didn't know what to do because I was like, why, why do I feel like I'm the worst person on this earth? Like right. why, mm-hmm. like it was just like, that was like my, my rock bottom moment of like, I have to get out. Like this is not worth crying in the middle of the night over and feeling absolutely miserable. Um, um, when I found after I reported that guy made the mistake and my SWAT commander ended up going to the whole team saying that I was trying to rat out one of my own teammates. And then I found out they were called, my whole team was calling me a rat behind my back. And I found that out at a party one night because we, we had the, cause I was in the narcotics unit. We worked closely with the DAs to get our search warrants and everything. And we had a couple of, two or three of us had gotten invited to this party. And one of my SWAT guys was there and he told me about it. And I, I had literally like left the party right then, got in my car to drive home and I had to pull over because I was crying so hard. I couldn't drive. I was so crushed. I could, I couldn't believe my own SWAT commander had turned it into that and that my team was, calling me a rat and oh by the way that happened when we were on our way to execute a search warrant that I wrote myself got proved by the judge myself and had conducted all the undercover buys myself buying I don't know if it was crack or cocaine with a guy who had a rifle sitting right next to him in his chair so you know all the ways that I'd put my life on the line and we when the SWAT team was on their way to execute my search warrant for my undercover buys they were calling me a rat I, I it just I was crushed and it freaking happens and it sucks and there is something you can do about it and there are changes that you can make and there are a lot of people across the country who want to help you figure this out I mean whether it's you with what with the fitness and health and wellness that you do whether it's me with the legal I know people who also help law enforcement officers transition out I'm sure you you know you talk to people about that all the time there are people who specifically help law enforcement officers with resumes to help them recognize like you think, Oh, but I don't have any value. I'm just a cop. Bullshit. Let somebody look at this through a different lens. And they're going to say, Oh, you did this assignment. Well, then this is all the ways we can describe you like, Oh, wow. Yes. Yes. You are a badass. You are a badass and you have value to a lot of people in a lot of different ways, whether that it's your department or another department or whether it's as a cop or whether it's not as a cop. And I know that if you're a cop, yes, and you and I both know it's really hard to leave that job. And it doesn't mean you have to, but there's a lot of great things that can happen to you because you are more than the job. No matter what you think, you are more than just a cop or a firefighter or an EMT or whatever. 
Absolutely. So trying to wrap this up a little bit, yeah. what are, I know your, your entire life and what you're doing now is such a positive outcome that it's like the turning the pain into passion type of thing. And I've kind of walked that journey also. Um, mm-hmm. What are some positive outcomes that you've seen from some of the people that you've helped through some of these things? Uh, well, one is a, a, a client that's on Brady Giglio list and I give him, I give him a plan. It's like, what I do is I offer like, it's like we come up with a, or I create like a six month plan that um, to follow for proactive, either week, weekly, monthly activities, contacting a lot of different people in a very tactical and, and proactive way. And his is shifting that he's getting a response from the DA's office to, you know, here's our plan for be able to get you off getting it in front of the right people, but in the right way without, without saying like, you know, just that you're not going up to smile all the time, just crying. Why? Why? You know, is that you, you want, and I say it's that you're poking the bear, but without getting mauled. And so, you know, I help people do that and that, and that's working. Um, that I have clients who like this, you know, very, like say, um, the most important thing I do for people, clients that I have again, young women, men who have 15 years in another client who has 15 years in that we're moving, we're, we're we're taking action that they tell me all the time without you. I don't know how I could have gotten through this because it is so consuming. It alters your life so significantly and they're taking action where they're starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel. They're starting to feel better. They're what their, their spouses are telling me, Bridget, thank you so much. It, you know, this, the first time in a long time I've been able to see that he or she is feeling better, starting to smile again. Um, you know, and all the outcomes are different, um, whether, you know, because you can do mediation. Sometimes it's lawsuit. It, it doesn't always go to lawsuit, but lawsuits end up taking longer. It's that they all tell me, basically what they're telling me is they feel like they're taking the control back. That are, you know, are they in a situation that they wish that, that they wanted to be in? No, but they feel like they're now in control. And that they all know I'm available and that I help talk them off that ledge, so to speak, of when they're questioning themselves or want to quit the, and they don't want to follow through. So you know, the success for me is that I know that I'm helping them feel happier each day. And even if it's not the perfect outcome, is no, you're not going to be able to get your chief fired every time. No, you're not going to get a $750,000 settlement every time, but you're going to get something. And what the most important thing you're going to get is knowing that you you did something to start to take control of what otherwise felt like an out of control, overwhelming and all consuming problem. Yeah. I love that. I talk to my clients a lot about that of trying to figure out what's within your control versus what's not yeah. within your control and how yeah. to respond based on what mm-hmm. those things are. So that's awesome yeah. because I think a lot of women especially feel like they're like, ball and chain to their job, whether it's like working ridiculous shifts or just like literally not having a life outside of work. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's a huge thing of taking your control back and, and whether well, it's something and toxic I, or it's just overtime and, and all that other crap that's running your yeah. life. And I'm sure you tell your clients this too, but I mean, I, I was just as guilty of it as the, ne- the next cop, but making your job your whole life as a cop is one of the worst possible things you can do for yourself. I know it's exciting at first and you want to be part of the team and you want to be, especially for women. Like if you we don't, you want to be included, do, do not make this job your whole life. It will be, it will, I promise it will bite you in the ass <laughs> because it's going to end up being hard at some point. And if it's the only thing you do and think about and all the time, then that's going to definitely feel like your life is falling apart around you versus 
making sure that you keep pieces of your life that have nothing to do with law enforcement, then yes, it's still going to be a bad situation, but then you still have other things that are not, are not falling apart around you. And I know you talk about that with people too. Um, and also just balancing out. I mean, the job of law enforcement is a very powerful position. There are not very many other jobs on this planet that give you the, the much power and authority that a law enforcement officer has where you can legally take the life of another if need be. And it's really important that you balance that out with the real world. So it, it can, it can lead you down a, a bad, into a bad place. Absolutely. Oh, I also wanted to say another example, which I think this is very important for anybody out law enforcement or first responders is another common discrimination problem that I deal with is officers get injured and the way that they're treated afterwards. Um, they cannot discriminate against you based upon an injury or if you filed a worker's comp claim. And there's a lot of different ways that manifests itself. Um, but one of my, I just got a new client this week where they're pushing him out and treating him differently after he was injured on, on, on an on the job training. And they have to be real careful how they do that. They can eventually let you go, even if you were in, injured on the job. Um, but they got to be real careful how they do it. And it's real easy for them to mess up and not do it the right way. So that's another one. Or women who are pregnant and all of a sudden their uh, agency says, well, you, you have to take unpaid leave while you're pregnant. Like, ah, you, sh you should definitely call me if that's what they're telling you. Um, that one really chaps my hide if, when that happens because that's bullshit. Um, but yeah, so lots of different ways that these issues come up. But cops need to take care of themselves. If you get injured on the job, please make a worker's comp claim. And, you know, like I said, I offer free 15 minute calls. Um, even if I give you, you know, obviously I can't give you a lot, a lot of legal advice, but, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, it sounds like you need to do something. To keep this in mind. You know, not everybody needs me yet, um, but happy to help if I can. Yeah. That's awesome that you're a resource, even just to bounce some ideas off on just to get like a loose mm -hmm. plan or, or some advice of what they should do. So where do we find you? My website is the best place, uh, ladylawshield.com. Um, that's where you go to book a call with me, like I said. Uh, definitely, you know, get on my newsletter list because I send out lots of different tips on legal things. Or um, I think, you know, obviously I'm, I'm, everything I do is from a wellness standpoint. And so, you know, I try and wrap that in a lot. And so it's not just boring case law decisions because you can find that lots of places. Um, but that's not, yes, I'm a lawyer, so I have to know case law, but that's not what you need to know. Like you don't need to know how the sausage is made. Um, but, uh, sign up for my newsletter list. I give lots of freebies and I give you an idea of, you know, what, what does an EEOC, what does an EEOC claim look like? What does a worker's comp claim look like? Um, you know, what is Brady, what is Brady Giglio and what, you know, what is the approach that I take for helping with Brady Giglio? So those are all freebies that I offer if you sign up for the newsletter. Um, and then just, you know, almost so my social media links are on there, but, um, just go to my website. It's all there. Cool. I love that. Well, thank you so much for spending your time here with us. And um, I hope someone out there hears this and, and decides to take you up on some advice and makes the decision to take the control back in their life. Yes. Great. Thank you. Thank you for today. This is great. Absolutely.